right, well, again, good morning. It's great to be together, great to worship. Um, I've caught myself doing this a couple of times lately where as we're just worshiping and singing and praising together, I, uh, I will just stop singing and just listen. And I just have to tell you, it is amazing to be able to, to hear the people of God praising God together. This, this congregation sings uh, to God, and uh, that's not always true. And so that's a gift. Uh, and so I just give God praise for that. Uh, Psalm 22 says, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Um, and man, that is true. That is so true. So just praise God for that. Um, this morning we're starting a, a new series uh, uh, called uh, The Generosity of God. And so uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and get your Bible out or grab a Bible near you. Uh, there should be one in a seat back near you if you want to grab one and open it up to that passage that we just heard from in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. That's where we're going to camp out today. Um, just real quick, though, before and while you're, you're getting there, before we get into our new series, you know, if you've been here for the last um, couple of months, you know we went through a series called The Very Heart of God. And last week, we, we kind of wrapped up that series uh, talking about the healing heart of God and that as we draw near to God, uh, he draws near to us, and his, his heart heals our heart. And we had a really powerful testimony from, uh, from Ashley uh, Lohan that was so grateful for. And uh, just many of you shared the impact that that had on you. And so I just wanted to encourage us, just because a series uh, on the healing heart of God is ending, that by no means means God's done healing. Uh, there are some of you in here that God is working uh, in your heart, and he wants to bring more healing to you. And this is a community where we want to see that. Um, we want to see and we are seeing God do healing work. And so I, I just want to say especially a word of encouragement uh, to the women of our community. Um, I just know that some of the things that Ashley shared in particular uh, may, may have ministered to you uh, and to your experience. And so I just want to encourage you. This, we want this to be a safe place where, where you feel like you can um, find safety and find healing. And so I just want to encourage you if that if that touched something in you or, or you related to what she shared, um, she has said she'd be happy to talk with you. So I want to encourage you. Um, Ashley, can you wave your hand just so everybody sees where you are? So she, she would love to chat you. But even if it's not Ashley, um, there are so many godly women in our community. And so if you, if you are working through something, uh, don't do it alone. Um, find someone you can trust and uh, who can walk with you. So just want to give that word of encouragement. God's not done healing. He continues to heal, and we praise God for that. Um, okay, so we're starting a new series, again, called The Generos Generosity of God. And so if you've been at Apostles for, uh, you know, over a year or so, you, you know that this is part of our, our, our rhythm, our practice. Every November, as we kind of run up to Thanksgiving and before Advent, uh, we take some time together and set aside some time to pray and consider uh, what it would look like for us to make a commitment to give in the, in the upcoming year. And so this coincides with uh, our leadership councils gathering and talking through uh, kind of what, what is God calling us to and looking at our budget for the next year. And so these things kind of all come together for us to seek the Lord uh, together and to discern together. And so that's really the invitation of the next two or three weeks. Um, now my hope is that everyone who calls apostles home uh, would enter into this process. And so, uh, you know, 
maybe that's with your life group. You're praying and thinking through this. Maybe it's as a couple. Uh, if you have children, I encourage you to involve them in this process, just praying and talking about these things. Everyone um, hopefully received a letter uh, from Patrick Wade and myself uh, this week, kind of just giving a, an introduction to this next three weeks and this season as we seek the Lord together. If you didn't, uh, we have copies in the lobby uh, along with commitment cards. encourage you to grab one of those and, and, again, just join us as we seek the Lord together. Um, Patrick, in fact, is going to come in just a few minutes and share a little bit more about that. So uh, grateful for him and for his leadership as we uh, enter into this giving campaign together. Um, so let me just stop right there and just acknowledge right, that as I've been talking about what we're going to do for the next few weeks and talking about a giving campaign. Uh, I just want to acknowledge that some of us right now are probably feeling all the excitement that you would feel uh, about going to the dentist, okay? We just own that. Uh, There's a sense in which uh, we know, yeah, it's a good thing and we should do it, but we really wish we didn't have to. Uh, Just that's how the dentist is for me. I wish I didn't have to do it. And so I just want to acknowledge that because I think the truth is we don't like talking about money. And we certainly don't like talking about money at church. And we definitely don't like it when people ask us for money. Uh, And so I think all that's understandable. Um, You know, a a few weeks ago, I was going through the drive-thru at Wendy's. And uh, and I I went to hand her, uh, the cashier, my debit card. And she asked that question that so many cashiers ask these days that it's just, oh, it's just like, the, you know, it's, it's awkward and it's like, oh, man, okay, you're asking me that question. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's the checkout charity question, right? It's like, oh, sir, would you be willing to give a dollar to blank, the SPCA, Make-A-Wish Foundation? I think, it was, I think it was like Wendy's for Kids. I was like, what is Wendy's for Kids? I don't even... <laughs> And she asked, she was like, asking, and, and honestly, my inner screws just welled up, and I was like, I wanted to say, no, I do not, I don't even know what Wendy's for Kids is, I don't want to give a dollar, I don't want to do it, I don't want to, I just want my junior bacon cheeseburger, <laughs> just being honest. <laughs> and, but here's the thing, my kids are sitting in the back seat, uh, at least Bennett was, I can't remember if they were all there, but I, I remember Bennett and I were in the car together, and I had this thought of, okay, so Bennett's sitting in the back seat. And he's, he just heard this lady say, would you like to give a dollar to help Wendy's help kids? And I'm just, I hear his voice. I mean, he doesn't say anything, but I just hear it in my head. It's like, that, my son is wondering if his dad cares about kids, you know? <laughs> would my dad give a dollar to save a kid's life? You know, like. <laughs> and so, of course, I, I turned to her and all, all the, what came out of my mouth was, uh, yes, I would love to give a dollar to Wendy's for kids. And I drove away, and, and I, again, I don't know if you can relate to this. I drove away not feeling like I'd done something good in the world. I drove away feeling annoyed and guilted into giving. That's what it felt like, right? And this is not a knock on checkout charity. I mean, it, it does a lot of good, you know. It does a lot of good. Uh, but if you can relate to my scrooginess, uh, I think maybe this idea of just being guilted into giving, right? We can relate to that. We don't like it. And I think with good reason, it upsets us. We can have this visceral reaction. And I actually think that's a really helpful cue to us about the nature of money 
and the nature of giving and how it relates to our heart. See, there's, there's a profound connection, right, between money and our hearts. And we bump into it in moments like, like this. And here's the thing, Jesus knew that. He knew this profound connection between money and our hearts. And in fact, he talked about money a lot for that very reason. This may surprise you, but Jesus talked about money more than he talked about a lot of things in the gospel. If you were to kind of categorically go through the gospels, you'd find out that Jesus talked about money and possessions about 15% of his teaching. Now, just to put that in perspective, if, if I follow Jesus' example and I preached 15% of the time on money, that would be two straight months of the year, every year, of me preaching on money. Who's in? <laughs> Awkward, right? 15%? Really? He talked about money that much? He did. He talked about money that much, and it is uncomfortable. And maybe it should be. Maybe that's his point, why he talked about it so much. But not only did he teach about it, he lived an example of the relationship between heart and money of generosity. Jesus lived the most radically generous life of any human being in the history of the world. And he didn't live generously. He didn't give and give and give out of guilt. He wasn't motivated by guilt. It was out of something much, much more powerful. He gave out of love. He was motivated to be a generous God out of his love. That's what animates his generosity. His desire, then, is that we, too, as his people, as his children, would be radically generous. And that we would be motivated by not guilt, but love, just like Jesus was. So that's, that's my hope. My hope over the next couple of weeks as we're talking about money and giving, uh, giving that we would, we would feel a sense of freedom from guilt. This wouldn't be the time of year where we feel guilted into giving, but instead that we feel moved to, to give, not just our money, but more of ourselves, more of our time, more of our resources, more of our heart to the Lord out of gratitude and love for who he is and what he's done. So that's what we're aiming to do. And to help us, I want us to look at this incredible picture we get from the early church in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. So if you've got that open, I just want to look at that. And I want to do something a little bit different. I, I just want you, if with that open in front of you, I just want you to read over it yourself. You just heard it read. I want you to read over it yourself. Just gonna give you a few seconds to do this. Read over it yourself. And then I want you to actually see if you can pinpoint in this description, not the what of their generosity, but the why. What's motivating, in other words, their generosity in this account of the early church? So just take a few seconds. Just kind of scan over it. See if you can figure out the why to the what. I'm not going to quiz you. So let me just, I want to answer that question together, but I want to make a couple of observations here to kind of lead up to it. So having thought about the why, let's, let's just look at the what 
real quick. This is an astonishing picture. We may be used to this if we've been following Jesus for a long time, this, this description. You know, it echoes Acts 2, right? This early description of the church. We, but this is radical. This is a strange way of living and handling money. And just to be clear, this was not normal then either. Okay, this was as, if not more so, out of line with the prevailing thoughts of culture when it came to possessions and money and even time. <clears throat> so this is not what people in ancient Palestine do. In fact, this, what, what we're seeing here, stood out to the Romans and to the Greeks, to the pagan cultures in which the gospel entered because it was so bizarre. It was so strange to live this way. And it's bizarre to us, I think, too. But let's just look at kind of what, what's being done here. Let's observe. First, no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. All right, so when I read that, I cannot help but think of Finding Nemo and the seagulls, right? What do they say? What? I just want to see if I can get y'all to do that. That's awesome. <laughs> mine, 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 mine. Yeah. They say it, mine. They mine. Okay, no, that's not, that's the world's way, right? Mine. Man, that's, okay, there's a radical departure there. But they had everything in common, it says. Everything in common. All right, so here's something fascinating. The ancient Greek word for everything here. It actually means everything. Everything means everything? Let's not neuter the text, okay? Let's not ease into it. Everything, everything means everything. Okay, we got to wrestle with that. They had everything in common. They share everything. Why? So that there's not a needy person among them. In fact, for as many as were owners of land or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed, again, to those who had need. Real-life example, if you want to know what this looks like, see Barnabas' story. That's what it says. So this isn't just theoretical. Barnabas, remember Barnabas? He just did this. What this is, it's a picture of a community marked by radical generosity. I mean, radical generosity. It's unbelievable. This is supernatural. This doesn't happen with human beings. This is only possible because of God. This is a spiritual reality, radical generosity. Now, I ask you to read through this and see if you could think and kind of identify the why behind the what. That, that's the what. That's what's happening. But what's the why? What would cause, in other words, what would cause a community to be like this, to live like this, to be radically generous? <clears throat> Let me say a couple things about what it's not. Again, notice they're not motivated by guilt. Not motivated by guilt. There's no sense here in this description that what is happening here is being done begrudgingly. In fact, if you read Acts and the account of, what, of the birth of the church in this beautiful Christ-centered community that's proclaiming the gospel through their words and their life, 
you get this sense that they're marked, marked by joy and freedom. They're not motivated by guilt. It's a living example. I love Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, this is about what happens in your heart. This is about what takes place in your heart, not to be done reluctantly or under compulsion, he writes, but God loves a cheerful giver. That's what this looks like, cheerful giver. This is a community marked by cheerful giving. So first, it's not guilt. Second, they're not motivated by institutional obligation. They're not motivated by a sense of, well, this is what we have to do because we're part of this group. Uh, there's no, no membership fee, right, to get in the door. Uh, it's not because they're so excited about a movement or a campaign or a personality or a program or a building, right? All the things we tend to think, of, oh, we give for these. And there's nothing wrong with personalities and programs and buildings, but that's not what motivates this group to give. And just to be clear, this is not communism, this is not socialism, okay? Sometimes those words get thrown around here. And here's, here's how you know it's not communism or socialism. No one is making them give. It's not a top-down, organizationally driven compulsion to give. People still own private property here. That's how they can sell it and give the proceeds from it. They're freely choosing to give. That's what's so remarkable. They're freely choosing to give. So what are they motivated by? That's what they're not motivated by. What are they motivated by? If you landed on verse 33, you found gold. Verse 33 tells you what motivated them. That's what it says. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and to the great grace, and great grace was upon them all. Testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace. Those are the heart motives that I see here for generosity, for radical generosity. So first, the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This was a community that had been absolutely convinced that Jesus was the Christ. They were convinced, and they devoted their whole life to that belief, to that conviction, that this was God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he gave himself on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and he did that. He defeated the tyrannical powers, uh, tyrannical powers of sin and death out of his love for them, that he rose from the dead, and it brought them life and freedom and hope and joy. They were convinced, absolutely convinced of that. And it changed them. They loved this Jesus. They loved this resurrected Jesus. They loved to give testimony to the resurrected Jesus. So that's the first thing. It was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the second, this great grace was upon them all. What does that mean? Great grace was upon them all. Grace, so I'll give you some actually helpful Greek this go around. The word grace in the Greek is the word charis or charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And if this word looks familiar, 
It's the root word we have for uh, charisma, you know, a person whose personality is just gifted, right? Like, uh, or charismatic, someone who operates or walks in the gifts of the Spirit, you know. And that gives you some clues as to what charis, grace, means. What at the heart of it, it's getting at in the Greek. So when you read grace, what you're reading, in a sense, is this idea of gift. It's giving. It's gift. The very word grace itself is rooted in this idea of gifts, of giving. So in other words, when you read grace in the Bible, you could read in the word gift, It's a gift from the Lord God. Grace is the giving of something of value, not out of obligation, but out of a generosity of spirit, out of love. That's what grace is. And so what was the great grace that they had received? What was the great grace? What was the great gift they had all received? Jesus. Jesus is the great grace. He himself For God so loved the world that he what? Gave, right? Charis. He graced it to us. He gave his son to us. There's a sense in which generosity, what's happening here, this this radically shaped community of generosity is being formed and shaped by the very gift of God and the son of Jesus. That's what's happening here. It's a supernatural transformation. And so they were grateful. They were grateful for Jesus. And so in response to that, they gave joyfully and freely. So here's, here's the basic principle, I think, in this that's just helpful just to chew on. It's that gratitude begets generosity. It's a kingdom principle. It's a Christ principle. Gratitude begets generosity. I don't know, have you ever noticed <clears throat> that when you receive uh, a gift, it, it, it alters your heart's disposition, right? And in fact, especially if it's an extravagant or unexpected gift, it actually does something to your heart. It affects your heart. Um, so I was thinking about this and just an example of this uh, in our lives recently, was many of you know that David Jr. had surgery about a year and a half ago, a major, major spinal surgery, and so many of y'all were praying, and so many of y'all were so, I mean, talk about generous. This community is a generous, loving community, and we felt the prayers, and we felt cared for, and it was amazing, and God answered so many prayers, and he was supposed to, some of y'all know the story, he was supposed to be in the hospital for six weeks, he was in the hospital for two weeks, came home, praise God. But while we were at the hospital, um, we had a visit. From, uh, from a couple uh, that we didn't really know, but we had heard, they had heard David's story and they wanted to come by and just encourage him. And so, uh, as it turns out, it was a guy named Doug Bauer and his wife. And, and I didn't know this at the time, but Doug is, a, he's like a partial owner of the Astros. Anyway, he's very connected with the Astros. Uh, and so he came by and he had all this Astros swag. I mean, he was loaded. And the, and the, the piece de resistance was a George Springer signed and used bat. And he gave it to David. And yeah, I mean, I was like, whoa, can I get one of those? Uh, so just extravagant. This just, you know, over the top gift, but it didn't stop there. And then Doug was like, hey, I know this COVID thing is crazy right now, but when things calm down, 
I'd love to take you and your family to a game. You know? And so this past summer, when we were kind of re-entering the world, we got to go to a game. And it's totally ruined Astros games for the rest of my life. Uh, because not only did we go to the game, we got to sit on the front row, we got to go out on the field, and we got to sit in the dugout as a family. And it was just over, I mean, just every time you thought it was like, this is amazing, it was like a whole other level popped up. You know, it's just like, this is incredible. So this is, this is our family at the Astros Rangers game receiving this extravagant, unexpected gift. Now, do you think when we drove home after the game, do you think it had an effect on our heart? You bet it did. It was amazing. And we left. We left feeling full and grateful. And we felt, I would dare say, more generous. And there's something, I use that, there's something to it, right? There's something that when we receive, when we receive, and in our gratitude, it does something to our heart so that we can actually be more generous. Gratitude begets generosity. In fact, I would say the more grateful you become, the more generous you actually become. I think that's part of the gift is it just begets and begets and begets. It's like a virus, generosity virus. You and I have received the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. It makes an Astros game and sitting on the field and being in the dugout, it's nothing. It pales, everything in our life pales compared to Jesus. He's the greatest gift we have ever received? What have we received in Jesus? I mean, think about what you have in Jesus. You have assurance of who you are, don't you? You know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you were made in his image, that he created you and fashioned you, that you're beautifully and wonderfully made, that you are precious to him. Not only has he given you identity, he's given you salvation. You're so precious to him that he sent his own son to seek and to save you, to deliver you from sin and death by his death on the cross and his resurrection. He loves you that much. Not only has he given you salvation, he has actually given you his spirit and life in his spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, lives in you? The very spirit that hovered over the waters of creation, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says, that same spirit the spirit of life, the spirit of God himself dwells inside of you. What have we received in Jesus? Everything, everything that means anything is in Christ. Gratitude begets generosity. Just to end, I want to I want to just share a little bit about the last few days uh, for me. So some of you are aware that every year our church, um, well, our, our diocese uh, has a, an annual gathering. It's called Synod. So I know these are words that you may be like, what is a diocese and what is a synod? So basically a diocese is a family of churches. We're part of the Anglican global family of churches. A diocese is a small collection of churches 
that's Louisiana and Southeast Texas. And, uh, and a synod is basically uh, an annual gathering um, where we as pastors, as clergy, as church leaders, we gather together uh, to worship and to hear teaching and to pray and to do kind of the business of, of the diocese. So that was taking place over the last three days. And uh, it was amazing. You know, there's an Anglican, Anglican diocese of the Western Gulf Coast. That's, that's what this was. And it was, again, it was pastors and leaders from all over the region and just praying together and worshiping together. Uh, Friday night, there's a gathering of us that got together and worshiped, and some of you guys were able to be there. And it was just, it was amazing. And Ryan and our team led worship, and it was just beautiful, powerful. The Lord just showed up, uh, ordained, you know, several new folks to ministry. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. It was so encouraging uh, and such a gift. And uh, amazingly, um, over the last several months, uh, we've had several new, uh, I don't know what to call them, like prominent Christian leaders uh, join our diocese, become Anglicans. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's just interesting because we got to sit under the teaching of, uh, for example, of Dr. Ray Ortland. Now, if that name sounds familiar, we've been talking about Gentle and Lowly, encouraging you to read that book. His son, Dane Ortland, wrote that book. So we don't mess around with the kids. We go straight for the daddy, right? So we, we were like, let's get Ray Ortland in here. And he taught, and it was powerful on the grace of God. Such a gift. And, and then we got to hear from Sam Alberry, who's also joined our diocese. And um, if you know the name Sam, you know that he's one of the leading voices in the global church on human sexuality and gender and identity. And so he's come into our diocese, and he gave us a word, and it was so encouraging and helpful. And then here, here's, the, here's the most, I mean, I thought I was living in an alternate universe. To cap it all off, we had a devotional led by one of the newest Anglicans in Houston, Texas, Beth Moore. Yeah, that Beth Moore, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I was like, where am I? <laughs> Beth Moore is leading an Anglican Bible study. Uh, but she, she, it was so powerful, you know, and she's, and, and, and she's joined a, a, an Anglican church here in, in our city. I'm not going to tell you which one because you can't go there. <laughs> you have to stay here. <laughs> I want to go here and teach. Uh, but, you know, it was just a gift. It, it was such a gift. Um, and I just was reflecting on just how beautiful and powerful it was to be together with members of the body of Christ who were love Jesus, and that's the main thing we have in common, despite all our differences and all the places we come from. But here's the thing. There was one moment in all the amazing things that happened that really stood out to me, and this was it. I want to tell you about Sandy Rambach. Uh, Sandy is the administrator for the diocese, um, and she uh, assists Bishop Clark, uh, and she just keeps everything running. And every year, this big gathering that we have, she's the one that makes it all come together. She, and I've known Sandy long enough now um, to know that she hates the spotlight. Uh, she's, she loves to serve kind of in anonymity behind the scenes, like just, you know, quietly serving and doing what needs to be done. And uh, she does it tirelessly. And she does it joyfully. And, um, and she does it in just a beautiful way. 
And so it's a huge undertaking, and she does this, again, so faithfully and humbly. And at the end of our time yesterday, the bishop invited her forward, actually tricked her to come up, up to the front because uh, she wouldn't do it otherwise, got her to come up front, and then he, he thanked her in front of everybody, but then he surprised her with this gift. Now, I didn't know this, but he shared that one of the things that Sandy loves is to go on cruises. She loves going on cruises. And so, uh, so basically, some members uh, of our diocese pulled together some money, gave some money, and they purchased uh, a, a really nice cruise for her to go on as a way of just saying thanks, just a thank you, gratitude for everything that she, uh, that she had done. And it was extravagant, right? and it was unexpected, and it was really beautiful. It was really emotional. And, um, and here's, what's, here's what's amazing to me. So many levels to this. Like, so one, Sandy didn't do any of the things she did to get a cruise. Right? That, her, the motive of her heart's desire was to honor the Lord Jesus, was, was her commitment to him and to his church. And so she was serving out of that. She gave, in other words, out of her gratitude for Jesus and what he's done for her. And that gratitude begat generosity in her in which she gave her time and all her energy and her heart into what she was doing. See that? So gratitude for Christ begat generosity expressed through service. So, so that's one level. And then what's amazing to me is that when you step back and you look at that generosity, then, then her generosity out of that gratitude for Jesus actually generated what in response? Gratitude from all of us who were there, who had benefited from her generosity, and how did we respond out of our gratitude to her? With generosity, Right, you see what's going on? Do y'all see this? This is, this is Acts 4. This is people who in gratitude for who, the, who God is and what he's done for them in Jesus Christ then are generous to one another. And what does it beget? More gratitude and more generosity and more gratitude and more generosity and more gratitude and more generosity. You see what happens? You see why? Jesus says, you are my witness to the world. You are my witnesses. This is, what we're, this is the community we're a part of. Out of gratitude, generosity. That's the church. That's what the church is supposed to be. A grateful community who generously gives for the glory of God.